Our Father, indeed, part of the problem that we have is that we didn't do what we just sang about. We, um, we, we thought we found a better path. We thought there was something on which we could walk that would uh, bring us more joy and, and more delight and more fulfillment and more meaning. And, and as we started the path, it seemed so pleasant. But it wasn't long, oh God. It wasn't long until the, the path got really ugly. The consequences of our choice, we're still living with them. And so, Father, as your people, we come to say close to you, O God. By the power and might of the indwelling Spirit, draw us close to you. Walking at a distance does us no good, Father. We long to be close to the one that we love, the one who who died in our stead. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would woo us and draw us into a, a posture of real intimacy with the one that we consider altogether lovely, the Lord Jesus. Our Father, it's because of some of those choices that we made in the past that you have um taught us a a measure of wisdom. We long for more. We face all kinds of choices as parents, as as wives, as as employers and employees, and and some of it is so complex. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that um, you will grant wisdom. We know that your word says that the beginning of wisdom begins with fearing you, and so we come to learn that as well. Lord, our country continues to squabble. Uh, she is divided over political ideologies. It is a, um, it is a sad, ugly thing that unfolds uh, every four years in front of us to see people being so divided and so passionately ugly. Father, we don't want to be a part of that. What we want to be a part of is the solution. And we are convinced that the broadcast of the gospel of Jesus Christ is just that. That it's not so important that we go into the ghettos to drag men out. It's important that we take Jesus into the ghettos and men will come out of the ghettos themselves. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will use this place, this collection of saints, to do a job that is that Memphis will feel and see and sense and be able to quantify. I pray that our city might be... a improved as a result of our living in it as salt and light. Father, for those who come in here with aches and pains, not so much physical, but those of soul and spirit, I pray, O God, that you will minister grace to them, that they'll be able to walk out of here with a new taste in their mouths. O God, take what we do, empower it by the Holy Spirit, and then make us people more like the Savior as a result of it. And now, Father, we get to give. That's our joy. We don't give grudgingly, Father. And for those who are, I pray that you'd cause them to see the great beauty of hilarious, cheerful giving. Now, Father, uh, take these these dollars and use every one of them to do one thing. Bring glory to yourself. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles now and open them to the uh, book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, and I want to read you the first three verses out of Romans 
12. You follow in your copies as I read Romans chapter 12. Beginning at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Gang, uh, as most of you already know, we're we're, we're winding down a summer-long series on the subject of building biblical self-worth. One of the reasons that I saw this as necessary is because we are inundated with another strategy of building self-worth, and I'm afraid that many of us bought more into that than we have what the Bible has said. I, I, I think some of us are, are carrying around a fair measure or degree, a small measure of, of dysfunction and emotional illness because uh, we've listened to the wrong sources. We bought into a, a, to a cultural norm that, has, um, that hasn't helped us. Um, it's more hurt us than it's helped us. So what I've been trying to do, I spent about five weeks and I've spent the last three, I've spent the first five weeks trying to clear the, the, the table, uh, to clear away all that stuff that is, um, that, that you normally hear and, and this construction project that we're in of building a biblical sense of self-worth. That's where we are. We're in the third week of the construction project, um, of trying to, to get a grasp, a, a, a hold, of what the scripture has to say about how I'm supposed to view myself. That's what we're doing. Now, I want you to know that in, in, in my childhood, uh, verse 3 of what I just read you was a text that was often used with me. It was often used by my mother, uh, who on numerous occasions would uh, take a portion of this verse 3 and use it to try and correct me. Now, I bet you that if you looked uh, fairly closely at verse 3, you would know what portion of verse 3 was her emphasis. Yeah, it was that uh, B part uh, that says, don't think too highly of yourself. Um, my mother would say it something like this. She would say, um, listen, hot shot. And then what went after that was uh, varied. Uh, it, it varied in intensity and it varied in subject matter, depending on which brand of obnoxious behavior I had exhibited. So a portion of verse 3 is one that I, I've heard a lot of my life. And um, I, I dare say that uh, that B part in there is what I'm calling the B part of verse 3 is, is widely known. That part of the verse uh, seems to be somewhat widely known. And that's the part that is often needed by people like me. And maybe you. Um, people who have an elevated idea of their own importance. Or their 
uh, had this mistaken notion that they're somehow superior in one way or the other. And if that's true of you, then perhaps you have heard uh, Romans 12.3, at least a portion of it used with you as frequently as I have. Maybe not. But there's another part to verse 3. Uh, it's, I, I'm calling it the C part of verse 3. Um, and it's that part of verse 3 that I, that I want to bring to your attention today. And I want to suggest that it is as important, if not more so, than the B part of that verse. Verse 3 of Romans 12 does indeed warn us of thinking too highly of ourselves. Yes, it does. And oh, how ugly we can become when we ignore that warning. But there is an opposite error that's also contained in this verse. Um, But I want you to notice what that opposite error is. I want you to notice first what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say... um, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think lowly of yourself. He doesn't say that. The um, What Paul is doing is, is eliminating a negative and trying to put in its place a biblical positive. He is trying to eliminate inappropriate behavior. And, and put in its place that which would be a proper, a, and a legitimate, um, exhortation for God's people. He is saying, don't do this, but do this. The corrective for thinking too highly of ourselves is not thinking lowly of ourselves. That's not what the text says. The corrective to inappropriate thinking about ourselves, if you look at the text, the corrective is, don't do this, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but, in contrast to that, in contrast to that error, I want you to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Okay? What does that mean? What is Paul saying then? I understand that part about don't thinking, not thinking too highly of ourselves. I, you know, I've committed that error more than once. But what is he exhorting me to do by thinking soberly of myself? When it comes to viewing myself, he says, I want you to think soberly. And what does that mean? Well, interestingly, the Greek, it's not much help. It's uh, it, uh, literally, I think you could put, He is pleading for us to think of ourselves with a sane mind. But that didn't help much, did it? Um, he He is pleading with us to form a right estimate of who we are, and he calls that thinking soberly. That right estimate of who we are is based on what God has said about me and what he has given me, um, and thinking of myself rightly is going to require faith. That is, I am to think of myself soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. If I am ever to think of myself correctly, 
it is going to involve a matter of faith. I am, I am being called upon, ladies and gentlemen, to believe I am who the Bible says I am, which requires the exercise of faith. I am not what evolutionary science says I am, thank God. I, I am not what humanistic psychology says I am, which is not much more than gobbledygook. And I am not what New Age religion says I am. I am what God tells me I am. And um, to enjoy that requires faith. Believing that what the Bible says about me is more real and more true than what my emotions might tell me I am or what my culture tells me I am, requires faith. I am being called upon to believe I am who God says I am in the face of the onslaught of a culture that tells me something else and even sometimes what my, my own emotions would tell me. Now here's the kicker, guys. What we, did, what we believe to be true about us has a direct impact on the way that we feel, uh, both emotionally and even physiologically. Guys, a, a lot of you, a, a lot of our behaviors can be traced back to a belief system about who we are. For instance, what kind of behavior do you think thinking too highly of yourself promotes? And what kind of behavior do you think flows out of thinking too lowly of yourself? I am saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that much of our behavior can be traced back to what we believe to be true about us. What we believe is going to influence very significantly not only my, my physiology, but my emotional life and thus my behaviors. Now, let me try to illustrate um, this. I, I think this will help you. I, at least, I hope it will. Imagine that, that I, I, I am driving down a, um, an expressway here in the, this country, and I am, I am uh, clipping along at... 85 miles an hour. And we all know that the speed limit is 70 miles per hour. And here I am, 80 mi 85 miles an hour, and I've got my uh, little CD blaring and, you know, pretty much not a care in the world. And I look into my rearview mirror, and there's, out of nowhere, a car. And on the top of this car is a string of lights, blue lights, that are at this moment flashing and being accompanied with a very loud, piercing siren noise. And it is coming towards me at high rates of speed. 
at that moment, based on certain facts that I now have in my brain, certain things happen to me. Oh, no. I'm going to be ticketed. There's going to be maybe a, a high a fine. I might have to go to court. Um, you know, if you live in a state where they put points on your driver's license, I, my insurance might go up. But that's not all. Not only are my emotions affected, ladies and gentlemen, but have you ever had this happen to you? Where you there in your rearview mirror and, and um, your heart begins to race. Your blood pressure goes up. There's your, your palms begin to sweat. There's your, your face is flushed. Your stomach is queasy. And you lift your foot off of the accelerator. And, and now, all of that's brought on, all these physiological phenomena are brought on by a certain set of facts that I now believe. And my emotional life. And so, here I am driving, and my foot, of course, is off the accelerator, and I'm trying to look like a good guy. And as this police car pulls up closer and closer, I am concluding that I'm going to have to pull off to the side and, uh, you know, face the consequences, drink the medicine, get the ticket, and then get on with my life. But right as he's pulling up behind me, all of a sudden, he pulls out into the left lane and races past me to go on to a, a more urgent call. Now, at that moment, something else happens in me. Now, based on a whole new set of data, a whole new series of beliefs, there's a lot of stuff that changes in this thing. My emotional life changes. But not only my emotions, ladies and gentlemen, my, my heart rate slows down. My, um, my stomach, the queasiness in my stomach is, um, is uh, settling down. My blood pressure goes down. Um, you know, I'm not sweating anymore. And all of a sudden, replacing all of those negative emotions is something. <laughs> Turn the CD back up. Now, indeed, there might be a somewhat of a time lapse um, where, you know, where those emotions were, you know, peaked. And they might take a while to come all the way down. Yeah. But in the main, as a result of a new set of data that I now have, not only is my emotional life affected, ladies and gentlemen, but so is my very physiology. Ladies and gentlemen, there's all kinds of examples I could give you. For instance, what is a blush? Does somebody blush? I mean, what is a blush? You know what a blush is? Well, as a result of my perception of a certain situation, I, I have a perception of this thing. You know, I bend over and my pants rip or something. And, and um, as, as, as a result of my perception of my environment, I can tell my body certain things that will pump blood to the endings in my face. Dang, you know this. You, you know what psychosomatic diseases are and all that business. I'm simply trying to illustrate, ladies and gentlemen, that what we believe to be true about our condition can affect 
dramatically affect the way we feel and our behavior and our very physiology. As, as the information changes and our, and our belief system changes, so will our feelings change. And so will some of our behavior change. You know, a person who has, um, who has suffered emotionally from years of rejection, it's going to take a while, yes, for new information to change my emotional life now that I understand that I'm accepted in Christ. But a, but a lifetime of emotional patterns can be reversed uh, over a bit of time um, as I exchange one set of information with an altogether new set of information. I'm simply suggesting, ladies and gentlemen, that beliefs can change the way that we feel, change our physiology, change our behaviors. Now, can, can you see then why Paul exhorts us to renew our minds in verse 2? Gang, the way that we transform ourselves is not by changing circumstances. It's by changing what one believes. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that some of our illness as the people of God is because we believe lies, which is the devil's stock and trade. When it comes to self-worth, we believe lies. If I tell myself that I'm okay and you're okay, when in fact neither of us are, then I'm headed to some very rude awakenings. You know, gang, there's no limit to how far off we can get because we believe lies. Shirley MacLaine believes that she's God. Now, what do you believe? Now, I'm not Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> let, let her continue on those drugs. Um, what do you believe? What do you believe about you? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, well, um, I'm the captain of my own soul. Poppycock. I, um, I'm Superman. You need to change drugs, too. But on the other end of that spectrum... I'm broken beyond repair. No, you're not. Who told you that? Why do you believe that? Huh? I'm, um, I'm guilty beyond forgiveness. Who said that? Why do you believe that? I'm, um, I'm hopeless, worthless, shameful. All of those are untrue, but you know. All of that is untrue. Yeah, but uh, Jimmy, uh, you you don't know what I've done. You know what? I, I you're right. I don't know what you've done. But I am told by this book that God knows everything you've done. I, I've been told that in Hebrews chapter four verse thirteen that says this: 
And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, knowing all that he knows about me, he still says some pretty marvelous things about who I am. Gang, the Bible doesn't offer you some kind of motivational fix. It offers you promises. And then it has the audacity to ask you to believe those promises. I can't make you believe them. But I can show you a few of them, which I'm going to. And in fact, about all I can do is show them to you. And then I'll try to offer a, a, a brief explanation. And then we can all pray that we'll come to enjoy the great provisions of the gospel for us. Whoa. Wouldn't that change some things? By the way, I'm, I'm about to give you some, and um, I, I don't want you to follow me around in the Bible because i got to go too fast. I'm going to give you 15. But I'll tell you this. If you ever took notes, you ought to take these, just these texts down. Here's why. You want to teach your, your, your children something, mom and dad? Then don't applaud them because they ate their chicken nuggets. Teach them this. You want to give them something on which to build a sense of worth? Then for God's sake, give them this. Don't withhold your love because they made a B. Don't communicate that they failed because they didn't make the team. Give them this. I also want to point out, ladies and gentlemen, that this is addressed to God's people. All 15 of these. It's addressed to people who have seen their sin and their need for a Savior and have turned to Christ for forgiveness and yet have still not come to grips with who they are in Christ. I'm about to give you Fifteen places where you can look for a sense of worth. And the challenge is to believe them. That's what it means to think soberly according to faith. Okay, we gotta go fast. Uh, I got about uh, 12 minutes left. Guys, I have 15. The first and the last are my favorites. That's what they do in the Greek. They put the emphasis on the first of the sentence and the last of the sentence. So I'm gonna put my emphasis on the first and the last. Are you ready? The first one is in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and it is this. I am the bride of Christ. I am married to Christ. You know, the first time I discovered that, really in a, in a way to, with eyes to see, was in Vienna, Austria. Now, uh, gang, unless that sounds too romantic, I was sitting in a McDonald's 
drinking a cappuccino while my wife was hitting the stores in the streets of Vienna. But I don't know whether the romance of Vienna contributed to that. I don't know. I can only tell you this. I have not been the same since I discovered it. That I am married to Christ. Do you know what that implies? It implies, number one, that I have his name. It implies that I am in intimacy with Jesus. That I am one flesh with Jesus. It means, or it implies, that what is his is mine. And what it implies, ladies and gentlemen, is union with Christ. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going anywhere in terms of a biblical self sense of a biblical sense of worth until you understand that you are in union with Christ. It's foundational, ladies and gentlemen. It is fundamental to the whole. What do you think it would do for your kids to tell them something like that? Instead of applauding them because they ate their chicken nuggets. I'm married to Christ. And all that that implies. Second, I'm a new creature, a new creation. If any man be in Christ, behold, old things have passed away. New things have come. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Gang, there's a newness about me. No matter what my past includes... All of those skeletons that tend to rattle around in my closet. They can't haunt me anymore. I'm new. I'm a new creature in Christ. Third. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within me. I am indwelt. And then the Bible goes on to say that he that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that I can change. You know those nasty old habits that followed me into the kingdom? Yeah, you know about those, don't you? Some of them that you're still wrestling with? I can change. There's hope for me to change and to, and to conquer whatever that thing is. Because I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, Romans chapter 8 verse 37 tells me that I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a winner, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know what the opposite of a winner is? It's what some of you feel like. You feel like a loser. Well, I am told I am not a loser, but I am more than a conqueror, although I sure don't feel like it at times, which means I'm going to have to exercise faith either in what I feel or what the Bible says is true about me. Number five, I am a joint heir with Christ, mentioned in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. I'm in line for an eternal inheritance. You know how people talk, ladies and gentlemen, they talk about, oh, he's a Kennedy, or she's a Rockefeller. You know what I am? I'm a Christian. I'm an heir of Christ. 
uh, an eternal inheritance is awaiting me. Number six, I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. The Holy Spirit is a down payment which assures my, my eternal future. Um, the deal, ladies and gentlemen, is sealed. The down payment's already been paid. Um, number seven, I'm told that I'm the apple of God's eye. That's mentioned a couple of places in Deuteronomy 32.10 and in Psalm 17.8. But interestingly enough, ladies and gentlemen, the Hebrew word for apple is not apple. The Hebrew word that you'll find in both of those places is the word for pupil. The pupil of his eye. Is there anything more sensitive, more protected than the pupil of my eye? I am the pupil of God's eye. That's what the Bible said was true about me. Number eight. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says that I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm not rejected, but I'm accepted. I'm approved. You know, guys, when you were, um, have you been permanently scarred by your childhood? I mean, when they were choosing up teams to play soccer in the backyard, were you always chosen last? Did you always feel a little bit unacceptable? Well... Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says that I'm accepted in the beloved. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 says that I'm complete in him. You, you always sort of sense that there was a piece that was missing in you that would really make you better. Sorry, either that's true or this is. Number 10, I'm free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. I, I, there's no condemnation that awaits me. Do you, do you understand the peace that that affords? There's no condemnation, even after what I did. Whoa. That is forgiven? Yes, ladies. That. Number 11. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. There's a spark of deity in me. Number 12. James chapter 1, verse 18. The first fruits of his creatures. I'm the best of the harvest. I'm the pick of the litter. Number 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. My life is hid with Christ in God. Oh, such safety and security. Nothing can snatch me out of his clutches. Number 14. I'm raised up in Christ and seated in heavenly places. Colossians 2.2 and Ephesians 2.6. As far as heaven is concerned, I'm already a citizen. Now, here's my 15th, and I want you to see this one, ladies and gentlemen. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could open to John 17 real fast. John 17. I told you my first and my last were my favorites. John 17, Jesus is praying. This is the high priestly prayer. You might recognize it, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus didn't pray the Lord's Prayer, but he did pray this one. He taught the Lord's Prayer. He prayed this one. This is the one that he is praying. It's all in red, ladies and gentlemen. This is all coming out of his mouth. And he says in verse 23 
uh, it's right in the middle of a sentence, but you can understand. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen, feast your eyes on this, that the world may know that you have sent me and that the world may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. You get that? That text states that the Father loves me the way that He loves His Son. The way He loves Jesus and the way that He loves Jimmy is the same kind of love. Guys, you can add all that up any way you like. Put them all down and add it all up any way you like. But some of the words that I would use to describe who I am and who you are would be words like these. Safe. I'm not insecure. I'm not vulnerable. I'm safe. I'm valued. I'm prized. I'm not worthless. I'm prized. Number three. I'm accepted, not rejected. I'm forgiven, not guilty. I'm honored, not shameful. I'm safe, I'm valued, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, and I'm honored. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Can you see the difference in that and what secular therapists offer you as the basis of your self-worth? Can you see that? They are worlds apart. The secular therapist offers you nothing but performance. And what happens when my performance ain't so good? Gang, if we're going to enjoy all this, all 15 of those places, and there's numerous others. If we're going to enjoy all this in a way that my emotions change, that, that my very physiology is affected, it will require faith. Choices, decisions, values, priorities are all influence. by how you respond to those 15 verses. The only thing else I can do is say this, or ask you this. Who do you believe? Father, we are a people that do not experience um, the best of emotional, spiritual health because we listen to the wrong people. We, um, we don't think soberly. We think one way or the other, but, but we've, not a, we've not thought about ourselves according to a measure of faith. And then we come to your word and see all of these glorious things that are said about us in Christ and 
and on this solid rock we stand. All the rest is sinking sand. So, Father, for men and women who have spent years troubled by, the, by lies, I pray that you will begin the process of healing. I pray that you will replace all that, that lie with what is true. And that we might begin to see new, a new approach to life as a result of believing differently. Father, if you brought people here today who do not yet know Jesus Christ, I I pray, O God, that you would alert them to the fact that all that I have said doesn't apply to them. That condemnation does await them if they remain outside the household of faith. They are not accepted without Christ. Their life is not hid in Christ. And I pray, O God, that you might woo them to the beauties of this gospel and the provisions thereof. Thank you, Father, for all that is provided for us. We have not yet enjoyed it all. Grant us grace that faith might grow. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.